continue to travel through the book of Jude. I pray, Lord, you would help me to say the things that you would have me to say. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be attentive, Lord. Help us to be able to learn uh, from this very important book. Short book, yet very important book, the book of Jude. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Well, we're there in the book of Jude. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we started in the book of Jude. Last week, uh, Brother Graham preached for us. So we weren't in the book of Jude. Uh, So this is now the second sermon in the book of Jude. And we'll probably be in it at least one more week, maybe two more weeks after that. And we're taking it slow, uh, just because there's only one chapter, but there's so much in the book of Jude. And you know, we understand that uh, chapter divisions, verse divisions, and the orders of the book in the Bible were not chosen by God, but men chose what area to put those in. But I believe they were put in the right order. And the book of Jude is just a very short book, right before the book of Revelation, but it's there for a very specific reason. I don't know if you remember, on Sunday night, I believe it was, maybe it was Sunday morning, when we were dealing with the subject of the King James Bible, I was showing you from the Bible that the Bible is very clear. Before the Antichrist comes, the Bible says there will be a falling away. There's going to be an apostasy that comes upon our, our nation, our, the, the entire world, Christianity. And there's going to be a turning away from the faith. And the book of Jude, the entire book honestly deals with the subject of apostasy. False prophets teaching false doctrine. And it's set right before the book of Revelation because that's exactly the order that things are going to go in. There's going to be a falling away before the end times begin to happen. So right before the book of Revelation, it is very uh, adequate or a very good place to put the book of Jude because the Jude deals with the, the last days, the apostasy that's going to come. And if you remember last week or a couple weeks ago, when we were in verse 1, we talked there about Jude, who was physically the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he doesn't mention that. He says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified. Remember we talked about the word sanctified? This is the common salvation. This is what salvation is. We are sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. And I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. Verse 2 there, he tells them, Mercy unto you, and peace, and love be multiplied. Now, in verse 3, is where we'll pick up this uh, tonight, and I want I want you to see this. Jude says this. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. He said, he said, I gave all diligence. The word diligence means effort. He said, I put effort and work and time. He said, I, I wanted to write to you about the common salvation. He said, I wanted to write you a letter about salvation. And look, listen, I don't know of a preacher who doesn't want to preach about salvation. I mean, there's no more beautiful message than the message of salvation. There's no more beautiful message than the message that we are sinners and condemned to hell, but Jesus Christ came to this earth to, 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 to you know, bring us salvation. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to pay for our sin. I don't have to pay for my sins to be forgiven. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to do anything for it. I just have to receive His gift. That's a great, positive message. And it should be. And it's a great message. 
But notice Jude said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, he said, I want to write to you a very positive message. I want to talk to you about salvation. He says, you know, I realize this though. Verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, notice, he says, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. I want you to notice this. He says, I wanted to preach a positive message. I wanted to bring a positive uh, thought. I wanted to talk about salvation. But when I thought about salvation, and I thought about the common salvation, and we understand the word common there is not belittling salvation, but the word common there means the salvation that we share. Because he's talking to other brethren. We're a spiritual family. If you're saved, we are spiritually related. Do you understand that? I have a spiritual father. You have the same spiritual father. We're a family. And he says, I wanted to write to you about the salvation that we have in common. But he said, I realized when I began to think about the salvation, I began to think about the attack that was on the salvation. And he said, I thought it more needful to write unto you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. I think it's interesting because today we got all these liberal preachers. They want to preach the positive only message. They, every Sunday morning they want to preach about the God of love, the, the love of God. And look, we, we kind of tried to sing that song. <laughs> hey, it's a great message, the love of God. And we ought to preach on the love of God from time to time. But you know, when you really begin to understand the message of salvation, and you really begin to comprehend salvation, you'll begin to realize that we need to earnestly contend for the faith. That word earnest means intensely. The word contend means to argue, means to fight, means to defend. He said, I wanted to write about salvation. I realized what I need to write about is earnestly contending, intensely arguing and fighting and defending the faith. Notice, the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now you say, well, Jude, why is it so important for you to write to us? About how to earnestly contend for the faith. Look at verse 4. Look at that first word in verse 4. The the first word in verse 4, F-O-U-R, is for, F-O-R. The word for means because, or for this reason. Say, why do we need to earnestly contend for the faith? He says, for there are certain men crept in unawares. Now you need to understand this. Jude begins to describe for us, and we'll spend a few weeks going through this, begins to describe for us what you and I would call a false teacher, a false preacher, or a false prophet. Now I want to give you tonight, just we're not going to go through the whole, the, the whole uh, subject there, we'll, we'll leave some of it for next week, but I want to give you three uh, descriptions or three things you need to understand about false teachers. Number one, false teachers will be secretly among the believers. Look at verse 4 again. For there are certain men, now notice this, crept in unawares. That means they crept in and we weren't aware of it. That means they came in, and they came in secretly among the believers. you got to understand this. Now listen, listen to me. I don't want to scare you. And I'm not preaching this to scare you. I'm just, you need to understand this. There will always be unbelievers in church. you got to understand that. There is always going to be unsaved people in church. There may be an unsaved person sitting here right now. You say, Pastor, you're ready. You know, I don't know. As far as this is how I live my life. I love everyone. I accept everyone. I like everyone. But I'm not naive enough. 
if Jesus Christ had a Judas Iscariot in his church of 12, you don't think you and I may have a Judas Iscariot around here? There's always, don't make you say, well, I'm scared now. I'm not going to, look, shake everyone's hand. Smile at everybody. Be everyone's friend. But just realize, when it comes to believers, there will always be unbelievers amongst us. The Bible is very clear about that. Let me give you a Jude example. Look at verse 5. I will therefore bring you to remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, now remember, he, He's giving us, He said, I want to put you in remembrance, He said, I want to remind you of an example from the Old Testament, when God brought out the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, do you remember, and I don't have time to develop this, you're just going to, I preached through the entire book of Exodus, if you're with us, you may remember, maybe you've heard preaching on it before, but that whole thing there in Exodus is a picture of salvation. If you remember, they were in bondage to Egypt that represents the world. Moses, a picture of Jesus Christ, shows up and makes the people free, brings them out of bondage. Remember, they had the Passover, they, they killed the lamb, they put the, the blood on the doorpost that represents salvation. And when, they, when the lamb died, they came out of the land of Egypt there, they crossed the river, uh, Jordan, uh, they crossed the Red Sea. Brother Graham and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago. I believe the Red Sea represents the blood. I know many people say baptism. I believe Jordan River represents baptism. Uh, I believe the Red Sea represents salvation. They cross the Red Sea there. They wander in the wilderness. Oftentimes, like many of us as Christians, wander in the world. And when they finally decide that they're going to get serious about serving God, they get baptized in the Jordan River and begin to conquer the land. That's a great sermon right there. That's good. And a picture of salvation. But you got to understand this. Just because something pictures salvation doesn't mean it is salvation. And he tells us here in verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, He brought them out of, He physically saved them out of bondage in Egypt. Notice, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. Do you know that there were some Israelites in Egypt who watched the ten plagues, who watched God do all those miracles, who crossed the Red Sea, uh, followed Moses, and yet still did not believe, and God destroyed them. Say, so why is you bringing this up? Because you got to understand this. There was unbelievers with, in the church, the Bible calls the, the congregation of Israel, in the book of Acts, calls them the church in the wilderness. The church in the wilderness had unbelievers in it. They had the, the other than the Lord Jesus Christ, they, they had the greatest pastor you could think of, Moses. I mean, they saw the miracles, they, they, they saw all these things that God did, and yet they were still unbelievers. And you think after all that, there was unbelievers there. You don't think we're going to have unbelievers here? You just gotta, don't let it scare you, just realize there will always be unbelievers, always be. Now look, honestly, I, I'll tell you this, and I'll say this before God, I believe, you know, as far as I know people's salvation, those of you that I know, you've given your testimony, I know that you're saved, I don't believe there's anybody here, I don't think there's, any, there's nobody here that I'm kind of like, mm, I'm checking you out. <laughs> but I'm not naive enough to think that there may not be. Or that there may not be at some point in our church. You just got to remember this. There will always be false teachers among, false believers among the Christians. Go to Matthew chapter 13, real quickly. Matthew chapter 13. Should be fairly easy to find. First book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter number 13. Look at verse number 24. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Here you find a parable where the Lord Jesus Christ teaches this. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. Matthew 13, verse 24. The Bible says, Matthew 
chapter number 13, and verse 24, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed, a good, which sowed good seed in his field. He said, I'm going to give you a story here. He said, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man, so you got a man, which sowed good seed, so he was throwing seed in his field. Verse 25, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? Now, follow what's going on. They sow good seed in the field. While men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the good seed. When it sprang up, it became obvious that they've got good seed and they've got these tares. The servant said, do you want us to go out into the field and pick out all the tares because an enemy has sowed tares among the wheat? Notice the response, verse 29. But he said, nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Notice what he says, verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say unto the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. You say, what does all that mean? Go down to verse number 37. Well, I'm sorry, verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So he gave them this whole parable. Everybody leaves, and the disciples say, Can you explain that to us? We didn't really quite catch that. Verse 37. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus Christ. So the one that soweth the good seed is the Son, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Verse 38. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. Are you getting the story now? So you've got the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, sowing good seed. Other parables tell us the seed is the Word of God. Sowing the Word of God. You've got the children of the kingdom, those are believers. But the enemy comes and sows tares amongst the wheat. And the servants, the angels said, do you want us to go remove the tares from the wheat? And the Son of God says, no, because you may hurt some of the wheat in the process. Let them both grow together. And at the harvest, at the end of the world, I'm going to have the reapers, the angels, separate the tares from the wheat. The tare gets thrown into the fire. The wheat goes into the house. Let me tell you something. That ought to prove to you right there that going to church does not save you. Well, I'm among believers. Yeah, but at the harvest, you'll get separated. Church attendance doesn't save you. Church membership doesn't save you. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ saves you. But you've got to understand this. Among the wheat, there's always going to be tares. And Jesus Christ said, let them both grow up. It's fine. We'll deal with it at the end. Just remember this. Go back to Jude. There is always false teachers. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Keep your finger there in Matthew. Keep your finger there in Matthew. Did you already go back? Go, go, keep your finger there, Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 15. There will always be false believers that will come in, crept in, unaware. The word crept makes you think like they're sneaking. You know, they're creeping in. 
They don't want to be noticed. Are you there in Matthew chapter 7? Look at verse 15. Matthew 7 verse 15. Beware of false prophets. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now wolves eat sheep. He says false prophets will come in in sheep's clothing. He said, it's kind of a funny analogy when you think about it. Jesus said a wolf is going to dress up like a sheep and come into where all the sheep are so that he can start eating some of the sheep. He said, that's what a false prophet does. He's a wolf when he comes in. He said, well, he looks like a sheep. Yeah, he, he comes in in sheep's clothing, but they come in crept unaware. Go to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter number 2. And if I were you, I'd, I'd put your bullets in there in Second Peter or keep your finger there in Second Peter. Uh, let, let me tell you something about Second Peter, and I don't know if I really have the time to develop it right now. But Second Peter and Jude are parallel passages. What that, and as we're going through the book of Jude, it will become very clear to you. What that means is that they're, they're almost the same passage. It's almost like they were written by the same person. Oh, that's right, they were. It's God. But they're parallel passages in the way that they deal with the same things. And you've got to look at them together to get a clear picture of what God is trying to explain to us. Are you there in 2 Peter chapter 2? Look at verse 1. Now in Jude we saw what? There are certain men crept in unawares, right? Look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse, verse 2. You can start noticing some of the parallels already. But there were false prophets among the people, talking about in the Old Testament, even as, or in the same way, there shall be false teachers among you who privately, meaning privately, notice what it says, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So, Jude tells us that there's going to be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. You just got to remember this. Just understand this. Go, 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 Keep your bulletin or something there in, in 2 Peter. Go to Galatians. Galatians. Right before the book of Ephesians, right after 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians chapter number 2. Look at verse 4. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. Galatians 2, 4. And that because of false brethren unawares, Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. You see that? Because of false brethren, not true brethren, false brethren, wolves in sheep's clothing, unawares, notice the same word used in Jude, to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, I'm sorry, uh, unawares brought in, who came in privately, same word used in Second Peter, you understand this? Just remember, look, I'm not telling you this so you can start checking. Every time we have a visitor, you start checking them out. Well, are you really saying? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not telling you. I'm just telling you to realize, you know, the, it'll help you to understand the book of First John tells us if they go out from, from us, they, they weren't from... Uh, I'm, a, I'm a misquoting that. I don't have it in my notes. But when they come out from, from us, they, they were not of us. Sometimes people leave and it's because they were never really of us. You know what I think is interesting? You know, people may get upset and leave for a little bit or whatever, and they come back, but if they're saved, you know, you see them and you're just like, man, I miss my brother, you know what I mean? But sometimes it's like, oh. You just got to remember that not everybody who comes to church, who has a Bible, who says they're a Christian, necessarily is a Christian. Just remember that. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not saying, you know, check people out. You got to love everyone. You got to accept everyone. You got to want everybody here. You got to miss people. You say, you say, Pastor, I miss so-and-so. Tell them that. Love them. Care for them. But remember, 
By the way, that's one of the reasons Mary Baptist Church is set up the way it is. That's one of the reasons, you know, it would be... It, I'll tell you this right now. Let me just be very honest with you. Verity Baptist Church would grow faster. We would have more families at this church if I set up some sort of a children's ministry. Let me tell you something. At Verity Baptist Church, we will never, as long as I'm the pastor, we will never have a children's ministry. We will never have young children off in some room somewhere with somebody, you know, by themselves where they can be molested, where they can be hurt. Now look, have I lost families because of that? I promise you I have. I know I have. But I will never do that. Why? Because I can't trust anybody. You say, well, we have this attitude. Look, here's the attitude I have. I, tr- I love everybody, I trust everybody, and I trust nobody. That's the attitude you ought to have. You, there will never be an opportunity at Mary Baptist Church for some wolf in sheep's clothing to come in and have an opportunity to defile someone, to, to molest someone, to hurt someone. And, and look, it would be much easier for me to get rid of the mother baby room, set up a nursery, set up some children's ministry, send out some buses, bribe them with some candy, bring them back. We could be running two or three hundred by now. But that's not the point. The point is this. At Mary Baptist Church, this is set up in a way where everything's open. You can't creep in on the webs. The, the door chims when you open it up. <laughs> you, can't, you can't come in here and be all secretive and, and let's go over here, kids. Let's go to... No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. Kids are always with their parents. Everything's always in the open. And by the way, Pastor Jimenez is never... You, you, you ladies, you, you need counseling. I'm not, you're not going to meet with me in some room by yourself. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. We're going to let some Jezebel come here and creeping unawares... And try to rip up this ministry. I'm just going to tell you that you ought to love everyone and accept everyone, but at the same time realize that sometimes people show up and they don't want help. They're looking for trouble. Just remember that. Just understand that. Jude 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember this. You say, well, Pastor Jimenez, how do we defend ourselves against uh, uh, someone who's crept in on orders? Well, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you'll never know. But there are some signs, <coughs> excuse me, of a false prophet. Let me give you one of them. A false prophet, notice verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares, who are before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, now notice, let me give you a hint. You say, how do I know someone's a false prophet? Here's a hint. Ungodly men, this is what they'll do. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. One thing that a false prophet will do is they'll turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. You say, what does the word lascivious mean? Well, there's a lot to the definition, but if I had to choose one word to define lasciviousness, it would be this, lust. Now, oftentimes, you and I think of the word lust in a physical type relationship, and there's definitely that connotation, and we'll talk about it. But the Bible teaches us the word lust has more to do than just a physical relationship. What the word lust means is desire. And there is a correlation between lust or desire and someone who's walking in the flesh. Let me show it to you. Uh, You were just there in Galatians. Go go back to Galatians. Look at verse number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter 5 and look at verse 13. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse number 13. Galatians 5.13. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. The Bible says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not the liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by the love by love serve one another. So there it talks about the fact that we have liberty, but notice he says, don't use the occasion of the liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Uh, go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. Look at verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. Verse 9. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. You say, how do you know if someone's a false prophet? Here's how you know. When they turn the grace of God. The Bible says this. If ye walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you're walking in the Spirit, you won't fulfill lust. You won't fulfill lasciviousness. A fleshly, carnal, backslidden Christian is a Christian who's fulfilling the lust and desires and lasciviousness of the flesh. Not necessarily talking just about a physical relationship, but any desire that you might have that is outside of what God would have for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here's the thing. A false teacher will take the grace of God and turn it into lasciviousness. Now, what's the grace of God? The grace of God is this. Oftentimes, people define the grace of God as unmerited favor. You receiving something you don't deserve. You receiving something you did not earn. For by grace are you saved through faith. Okay, so here's, here's let me give you an example of, of turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Has anyone here ever heard this phrase before? Uh, the, uh, has ever heard of the free grace movement? Anybody heard of the free grace movement? None of you have? Maybe, maybe that's too much of a theological movement. Who's ever heard of a, of a movement called Calvary Chapel? Ever heard of Calvary Chapel? Calvary Chapel is a huge, huge ministry. Okay, they're, uh, I'll just name them because they're one of the biggest proponents to this idea of a free grace movement. But it's not just Calvary Chapel. It's about, there's a Calvary Chapel of North Natomas. There's a, I think there's a Calvary Chapel of South Natomas. There's a Calvary Chapel uh, in every city in California, I think. They're one of the biggest proponents of this idea of free grace. Here's what they teach. They'll say, we're not under the law. We're under grace. Don't, don't tell me about sin. Don't teach me about what... You know, they, like, they, they would hate Verity Baptist Church. Don't tell me I'm doing anything wrong. Look, Jesus died for my sins, and because I'm saved, because, I'm, uh, because it's all about grace, because I don't have to work for my salvation, I can do whatever I want. It's under the blood. It's grace. Now listen to me. Satan always adds lies to uh, a little bit of truth to lie. It is true. That you're saved by grace. It is true that I can't lose my salvation. It is true that once I'm saved, I, look, I can live like the devil and still go to heaven. But Paul said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer there? And for a pastor to stand up and say, you want to commit adultery? Go ahead. There's no rules. We're not under the law. It's all under grace. It's free grace. Just do whatever you want. You want to be a drunkard? You want to be a Paul said he was still under the law to Christ. 
He said, this is what Paul said. Paul said, being not under law, but still under the law through Christ. That's exactly what he said. And people say, we're not under law. It's all grace. It's all grace. That's a false prophet. Because a false prophet will tell you, it's grace. And when they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, I'm just telling you right now. Just mark it down. False teacher. False prophet. I don't think you ought to call out Calvary Chapel. My job is, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, that my job is to mark them and avoid them. Amen. I don't think you should call them out by name. Well, then you don't call them out when you're preaching. How about that? But go, let me, let, me, let me give you this. There is a correlation between lust or desire and walking in the flesh. But you need to understand this also. Go to Romans chapter number 7. Romans chapter number 7. There is also a correlation between lust or desire and covetousness. Covetousness. Are you there in Romans chapter 7? Look at verse number 7. Romans chapter number 7 and verse 7. Romans 7, 7. Romans chapter number 7 and verse 7. The Apostle Paul says, What shall we say then? Is law sin? God forbid. Now notice what Paul says. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. Now notice what he says. For I had not known lust. Okay, you and I often think of lust as something physical because our because TV and, and just our society is so, you know, just reprobate. <laughs> you know, wants to turn everything into physical. And there is a correlation to that, and we'll get to that. But notice what Paul said. For I have not known lust, except the law has said, Thou shalt not covet. You see that? So Paul said, when the law says, Thou shalt not covet, the word covet means to desire, an extreme desire of acquiring things. It's greed. It's wanting to have. I want a nicer thing. I want a nicer vehicle. I want nicer clothes. I want, you know, when people are constantly talking about, I want to get this, I want to get that, that's a covetous person. Bible says, thou shalt not covet. But Paul said, I had not known lust unless I knew it. When the, when the law said, thou shalt not covet, that's when I knew that I shouldn't lust. Why? Because lust means to desire something. So when I desire something that I don't have, I'm coveting. Now you can covet, according to the Ten Commandments, you can covet land. You can covet, you, yes, you can covet somebody else's wife. But you can also covet their, their property. So it's bigger than that. So... A false prophet is someone who will turn the grace of God into lust, into lasciviousness. How do they do that? Free grace movement, perfect example. Telling you, go ahead and live in the flesh. Go ahead and fulfill the desires of your flesh, because we're under grace. That is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. But let me tell you something else. You say, how do you know a false prophet? You know a false prophet because they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They're teaching a free grace movement. You, you know a false prophet? If they are covetous. Because lasciviousness is lust, and lust, Paul tells us, has to do with coveting. Let me tell you something. And if you don't believe me, just go on, just go on YouTube and type in prosperity preachers. There are preachers all across this country, faith healers, prosperity gospel, Pentecostals, driving around in Rolls Royces, making millions and millions of dollars. Uh, Kenneth Copeland, one of the most popular preachers in America today, has multiple jets. I mean, has, a, has like a 38,000 square foot house. Has his own airport. Now, look, listen to me. I don't know, what, what does the pastor need an airport for? You say, how do I know false prophet? Whenever you see a preacher that is highly into things, the car they drive, the rings they wear, the jewelry they have, it's all about them. You know, and it's usually the pastors of these mega churches. 
If, if Verity Baptist Church had 5,000 people in it, Pastor Jimenez would still drive a Honda. <laughs> you say, why? Why? Because, because it, our lives ought not be about money. The love of money is the word of all evil. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise, is what the Bible says. You know, houses and money, look, I'm not, I don't think we ought to live broke. I think you can be wise with your finances and be able to take care of your family and you ought, to, you ought to support the ministry and all that. I understand that. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm telling you this. When you start seeing these pastors, usually these televangelists, and they got millions and millions of dollars and it's all about this, and they're preaching this prosperity gospel, they're telling you, if you're broke, it's because you're not right with God. Then was Jesus not right with God? The Bible tells us Jesus was homeless. Was Paul not right with God? Paul often, you know, went hungry and without things. I'm not telling you, you know, sometimes we don't have, our finances are messed up just because of our own lust is what it is. But I'm telling you, these prosperity preachers that are just talking about, you know, give, you know, if you give this much money to the church, you're going to get this and God's going to bless you with this and they're, they're just trying to get your money. You just, a red flag got to go up. False preacher. False prophet. It's good. When you go, you go visit a church and the pastor drives in on a BMW, just, just have a red flag go up. That's probably a false prophet. Say, are you against me? Uh, look, I'm not against Whatever, I'm just telling you that. According to you, they turn the grace of God into lust, lasciviousness, covetousness. Not only that, but obviously, lasciviousness and lust has a correlation between a lust, physical, desire, relationship. And I want you to see this. Go, go back to Jude. Keep your figure there in Second Peter. Go to Jude. I want you to see this. Jude seven. Even as, even as Sodom and Gomorrah. Were Sodom and Gomorrah good cities? No. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner. Look what it, look what it says. Giving themselves over to fornication. So they were giving themselves over to. Physical relationships outside of marriage. These are cities that God destroyed, by the way. Just to let you know how God thinks about these things. Giving themselves over to fornication. And going after strange flesh. That's a reference to, to the sodomites. Sometimes people get upset at us. They say, I don't like it that you say queer. You call them queer. It's like, that's a Bible word. You say, why is that? Do you know what the word queer means? It means strange. That's what the word queer means. You know, all these words in our vocabulary, gay, you know what the word gay means? It means happy. Now, they took that word and turned it into something perverted. And the word queer means strange. And they took that word and called it perverted. But here's what I think is funny. Notice, when God is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, look at verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. You know what I like to see these modern Bible versions do? Update that to queer flesh, because that's what it means. You know, you, you, I don't mean you should call them queers. That's what God calls them. Because it's strange for a man to desire another man. It's not normal. It's unnatural. Strange flesh. And set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. So I want you to see this, okay? They gave themselves over to fornication, which is a physical relationship, a lust outside of marriage. They gave themselves over to strange flesh, a lust that is unnatural. Okay, look at the two words of verse 7, the beginning words. Even as, it means in the same way as Sodom and Gomorrah gave themselves to fornication, strange flesh. Look at verse 8. Likewise, or in the same way as Sodom and Gomorrah, fornication, Sodomy, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignity. Let me tell you something. Uh, a false prophet 
will be followed by these things. Not preaching against sin, but preaching against lasciviousness of grace. Preaching that you can just live however you want and God's okay with it. This is what will follow a false prophet. Preaching that grace is lost. Preaching covetousness and prosperity. And defiling people physically. Fornicating. Adultery. Just, uh, you know, don't, don't do it, but go, just if you, you, you want to take me over, go on Google. Type in Joyce Myers. Type in all these, you know, mega church leaders, and you'll find that they're just committing adultery after adultery. Joyce Myers is on a third husband. This guy's on a third wife. They're just committing adultery. They're, they're, they're getting, you know, accused of like sodomizing this kid and that kid and that other kid, and they just move them over to the next church. Oh, now they got in trouble over there. Well, just move them over to this church. Well, now they got in trouble over there. We're just moving to this church. Look, let me tell you something. Whenever someone's just having all sorts of problems, a pastor's having all sorts of problems with keeping his hands to himself, just is a false prophet. So reprobate. He's not even saved. We'll, we'll cover that next week. I'm just trying to tell you, this is how you know a false prophet. You guys, some, some guy comes in here and he's just, well, he's just one of those guys. You know, he's just one of those... Feely guys, he always wants to hug the girls. He's not hugging my girl, not hugging my wife. Go hug a tree. You just keep an eye on that guy. You know, men don't want to spend time with men. Women are, you know, the Bible says that, it is, that a man should not touch a woman. You, you, you say, when can I touch a woman? When you put a ring on her finger and you say, I do, to death do his part. Then you can touch a woman. That's what the Bible says. And these guys that want to go around and well, I'm just touchy feely. I just like to hug people. I just, I'm one of those. You know, they, they, they want to be around all the kids all the time. Oh, wait, oh, let's go in the mother's baby room and let's close this door and we'll just play. Not my kids. I'm just telling you that these are the signs of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, Pastor R, we should be we scared of. Don't be scared of anything. Just love everyone and don't trust anybody. <laughs> just realize that there are false prophets. Just realize that there are people that are going to want to come in and hurt believers. We said false teachers are secretly among believers. We said false teachers will turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Let me just give you one more. Jude 4. And we'll we'll deal with the rest of these next week. Jude 4. Jude verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men... Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God. Now notice, and our Lord Jesus Christ. According to Jude, a false prophet will be one who denies, notice, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Second Peter, just real quickly. Second Peter. I don't even have this in my notes, but let me see if I can find it real quickly. I just saw it right there. Second Peter. Uh, man, I... Let me let me go back real quickly to that point about about uh, a false prophet wanting to defile people. Let me let me just prove it to you even further. Second Peter chapter two. Remember verse one. There shall be false teachers among you who privately will shall bring in damnable heresies. Now notice this. Even denying the Lord, you see that? Just like in Jude. Okay. But notice, keep going in that in that chapter. Look at verse fourteen. We're describing a false prophet. Look at what look at what Peter says about a false prophet. Verse fourteen: Having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and and heart 
exercised with covetous practices, curse his children. Did you notice how he just covered everything that Jude covered? He said, they have eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. They're beguiling unstable souls, talking about children. And heart they have exercised with covetousness. They want things, covetous practices, curse the children. The Bible tells us they're denying the Lord. I'm just trying to tell you something. This is what a false prophet does. When somebody walks in here, you know, the first time they're visiting, I'd like to be in charge of the children's ministries. I'm like, all right. <laughs> well, I will be checking you out. <laughs> I, where, how, how quickly can I get along with some of these kids around here? Never. Not here. Go to the church down the street, maybe. Because that is a false prophet. They want to defile. Go, go back to Jude. We're done right here. I'll, I'll give you the rest next week. Jude 4. I just want you to see this. Here's another, here's another sign of a false prophet. Last part of verse 4. Denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. You see that? Denying the only Lord God. Okay? So they're denying that the Lord is God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The word and there, in English, oftentimes the word and is just used as a comma. Just explain the rest of the verse. So it's not saying they're separate. It's Lord God. And just to make sure you understand, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And a false prophet will deny that. Just realize this. False prophets deny the deity of Jesus Christ. If someone says to you, Jesus wasn't God, they're a false prophet. You say, you know, people get mad. I don't think you should preach against the Mormons. They're false prophets. They do not believe that Jesus is God. I don't think you should preach against the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're false prophets. They attack the deity of Jesus Christ. I don't think you should preach against the modern Bible verses like you did last week uh, on Sunday. The people that preach out of those are false prophets because the Bibles themselves deny the deity of Jesus Christ. A false prophet will deny them. Just mark it down. Someone says that a false prophet... And by the way, all these prosperity gospel preachers... They're, they're all going around saying this. We're little gods. We're little gods. We're all gods. Adam was a god. Jesus was a god. That's the same thing. That's the same thing the Mormons teach. And by the way, that's the same thing Satan taught. That's right, that's right. Did not Satan in the Garden of Eden said, If ye eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, ye shall be as gods? I'm just telling you. Someone's going around saying, Jesus isn't really God. We're all little gods. False prophet. Mark it down. False prophet. False prophet. I think you're just preaching negative. Go ahead. Anybody knocks on your door with a Bible and says they're a Christian, you want to go ahead and trust them with your kids. You, you do what you want. I'm just trying to tell you, the Bible says that a false... You say, how do I know a false prophet? The guy, you know, when Pastor Venice gets done preaching on sin, and, and some, someone comes up to you and says, I don't know, I really believe all that. I mean, we are under grace. Just start thinking, hmm, this guy. <laughs> well, why don't they have those children's ministries? I mean, I, I feel like my ministry is to just kick... I'd love to take those kids, you know, out to wherever, without their kids. Without their parents. Just start real thinking, okay? There's something wrong with this guy. I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you. There are marks to a prophet. The Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. Not talking about Christians, talking about false prophets. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, Lord, I know that sometimes sermons like these could be seen as negative or mean. But see, just like Jude realized. That sometimes when you preach the most negative sermon, that's when you're really loving people because you're warning them. Jesus said, I want, I want to write about the common salvation, and I realized it was needful for me to write 
that we need to contend for the faith. Lord, help us to love everyone. Help us to accept everyone. Help us to just be a spiritual family. But, like First Peter says, help us to be sober, vigilant, because our adversary, the devil, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And help us to realize that there will be, if there aren't already, and I, don't, I honestly, truly believe there aren't, but if there aren't already, there will be men crept in unawares. Help us to earnestly contend for the faith. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen.